welcome to the Agile BI podcast, where we chat with guests or sometimes just to ourselves about being agile with teams who are delivering data, analytics, and visualizations. Welcome to the Agile BI podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. I'm Blair Tempero. And I'm Jo Shrigley. Hey Jo, thank you for joining us today. It's lovely to see you. Thank you. Um, the way we tend to start off the podcast is asking people who come along to tell us a little bit of their background. So a little bit of a story about how you got into this world of Agile BI. Well, for the first uh, sort of 12 years of my career, uh, I worked in data analytics and I didn't use Agile. Um, and then in 2015, um, the, the, the place that I was working uh, decided to am- implement Agile. And I guess I was a little bit skeptical at first. It was just something I hadn't really heard of before. But uh, I really, really quickly, I was really quickly bought into it. And the, the main reason for that was that the framework um, was just so natural to me. It, all, the, the fundamentals of what Agile was trying to achieve is everything that I had already been doing in my work. So, you know, working really collaboratively with with my customer, um, taking them right along the journey and, and, and rather than showing them what I'd completed at the end of what I thought I'd completed, I've always been a person to, uh, to you know, to show them go and meet with them and show, oh, this is it half done, what do you think of this? This is it third, three quarters done, mm-hmm. what do you think of this? Um, and so, the yeah, the implementation of the framework of Agile just kind of fitted into to what mm-hmm. I was already doing. So, yeah, yeah and, and, um, oh, and the other thing, I guess, that I um, had always tried to push in the jobs that I've been in is collaboration across the team. And so, uh, you know, before being introduced to Agile, I was uh, I was always a fan of meeting as a team on a regular basis and talking about what you were doing, with the aim of um, of you know maximising the team's knowledge in order to create a smarter solution, and also minimising reinventing of the wheel because there'd been times when I'd come into a team and different people within the team would be essentially doing exactly the same thing. I mean, in fact, in my the current place that I work, when I, you know, right back when I first arrived, there, everybody, no one in the team knew what each what each other were doing, and each person in the team was was essentially repeating what another person was doing in the team. And if they'd just been, if there was a forum where they could have been talking about what they were doing and demoing what they were doing, then the, then the outcome for the customer as well as the, the productivity for the team would have been way better. Cool. And I suppose through, through the move to Agile, uh, or the formal move to Agile in 2015 in our team, all the benefits, um, you know, all that smarter solutions that we're coming up with, the, the you know, significant reduction of implement, uh, reinventing the wheel, the creating more holistic solutions that meet a whole bunch of customers' needs instead of just 
you know, um, head in the sand, only meeting one customer's needs, um, and and also I guess a better customer service through uh, through you know the whole team more collaboratively and more iteratively working with customers, all, all that's come to fruition. Awesome. Okay. And so yeah, cool. yeah. So what's what's your role on the on the team that you're working with at the moment? So the uh, the role that I'm doing right now is officially Scrum Master cool. and BI consultant. Right. Yep. Uh, so I sort of manage the stand the daily stand up, I organise and manage the scrum ceremonies, so the, the demo, the retro, the refinement meetings and sprint planning. Um, and I also help uh, remove the team to remove impediments so if they are implying at a stand-up that something's blocked because of such and such a person or something then I will I will identify that and uh, you know and, and try and um, work with the team member to work out how we can get rid of that impediment um, I also will at the stand-up if somebody's saying right I've now finished the dev work that I need to do uh, and um, you know we can all see that the peer review is the next thing that needs to be done then I will proactively say right okay who is there somebody in the team who's willing to take up that you know peer of or put their hand up yep. in the stand up for the peer review just yep. to keep things rolling yep so all, all good scrum master behavior so yeah. I, I think um, what we want to talk about today is, is the kind of topic you picked, which is one that, um, which again, another topic I love, um, is this idea that when you start off with a new team, so you're going into an organisation or into a team that hasn't started their agile journey, um, and you're taking a, a scrum approach, um, and when you look at it, there's a, like you said, there's a bunch of ceremonies that we we run because they have value, right there, uh, I think the word you used was investment, uh, when we talked mm. about it before, and so they take time and that for that investment of that time there are some benefits and, and without investing that time we, we get the downside of, of those things not happening. Mm. But often the, the, the teams come into this agile way of working thinking, uh, you know, there is no documentation, there is no meetings, you know, the, the things that everybody advertises uh, or that advertise, so people focus on as, as some of the negatives sometimes. Um, so when we say, hey, you know, if, if you're running a three-week iteration, you know, the morning of the, the first day, you know, we lose, yeah, we don't lose, so we invest um, time in, in planning and committing what we're going to deliver over the next three weeks. At the end, we do a demo or approve it where we show them the value we've delivered and prove it's actually ready. Uh, in the middle, we want to refine what we're doing after this one so that you know our time on that first day is is shorter. It's more of a commitment than a planning and, and estimating. You know, we do daily stand-ups so the team can talk to themselves about where they're at. Um, all those those ceremonies take time, and teams often turn around and, and go, I'm spending too much time in meetings, just let me code, right? And mm -hmm. so so you've obviously found that that issue or that problem or that behaviour for when you started out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when I came back from um, having my son uh, in uh, April last year, uh, our, I came back to our team, I think we were doing one refinement meeting, if that, per fortnight. We weren't doing a demo 
um, and and there were members of the team who were saying that they were finding that we were having too many meetings and they were already and they were reluctant very very reluctant to have any more meetings and I guess it's really important to understand those people's perspectives. Um, it was kind of valid what they were saying about having too many meetings and I think you can't just, I guess my philosophy around anything I really do, um, including Agile, is around get the, the importance of getting buy-in from the people to why you're wanting to do things in a particular way. So I've never been a like a carrot and stick, this is the way Agile is, therefore, like it or lump it, this is the meetings we're doing. Um, I've, I've, I've found that doing it that way um, just pushes people away and that you really have to, and it always, of course, takes longer the second way, like it's quicker to do the carrot and or the, the you know, is it, stick approach. Well, the dictatorial, thou yeah, shall. Yeah, 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 and people do yeah. that all the time yeah. because it takes longer to do it the longer, the, the way of, uh, of getting people's buy-in to it. And um, I suppose the way I tackled refinement meetings was that what was happening was that I would get to, well, we'd get to our sprint planning meeting which was on the Tuesday at the end of the sprint and obviously the beginning of the next sprint. And the sprint planning meeting would go on for like two hours and everybody would just be at their wits end because who want, you know, how can you operate effectively in a tense two hour meeting where you're trying to rush through uh, sizing and explaining all stories that people had no idea what, you know, the, sp the sprint was lined up with these stories. The majority of the team didn't know what they were and so you'd have to backtrack and the person who put, wrote the story and put the story in would have to explain it to the, to the rest of the group and then it'd be like, there'd be lots of questions about, so why would we want to do this story and and but we've already done this before or you know those kind of questions mm -hmm. and and you know by the end of and bec actually because the sprint planning was taking so much time and so difficult for the team we actually switched the sprint planning was sprint with retro with the retrospective and had the sprint planning in the morning so people had yep. more energy so for it yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and so in the um, I guess over a period of a few weeks it wasn't it wasn't just once that I brought it up but I guess I, I got the team to start thinking in the retrospectives about the fact that the the planning wasn't going very well and everybody knew that and everybody was frustrated and what could we do to try and help improve it? And the team, end, you know, ended up, it was kind of a bit of a negotiation thing between some of the team who were really, like, more pro, you know, the the investment than, than others who were, like, uh, pro, I want to be coding. Mm -hmm. But it, it kind of got through kind of a negotiation amongst the team, the, 
they were able to agree about the, the need for, um, actually, to begin with, I said, why don't we just trial um, a couple of, uh, so a refinement meeting in that off week mm -hmm. that we weren't doing a refinement meeting, but just a trial for a couple of weeks, uh, for a whole sprint, uh, sorry, two sprints. And then at the retro beyond that, I asked the team how they felt that things were going. And even the people who were very anti-meeting admitted that it was... Oh, actually, the other thing that I did was I said, not everybody has to come to every refinement meeting. Oh, really? So, okay. so you're getting the chance to opt out if yes. they didn't see the value. So Ooh, okay. I said, at least if we've got... Uh, four out of the team there, so it was about 70 odd percent of the team were okay. there on any one refinement meeting that, and that gave the opportunity to the people, certain people to, you know, it was not about opting out every time but kind of almost a bit of a rotation basis. That would be interesting because what, what in theory that would cause is you're giving them permission to opt out if they didn't see value they may decide not to come to the first one or they, they had to come to the first one and they're knocked out. But if they saw their colleagues, if they saw their team members going to it, seeing, and then when they go to the planning session at the beginning of the duration, they're out of the loop, right? The, the team have already refined it, they understand it, they're having you know, three-letter conversations because they're all on the same page and they've collaborated. And if you've opted out of that, that um, planning, that refinement session, you... Even going to slow the team down by well, you know, asking a lot of questions, questions that, that have already been yeah. answered. Yeah. So you're going to, if it's successful, if you have that mass, you're going to opt back in, right? It's funny you should say that because that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Is certain people who hadn't attended the refinement meeting would start bringing up mm -hmm. things in the in the sprint planning meeting, mm -hmm. yeah. and so I then said. Um, that if you're not at the refinement meeting, you have to accept that we've that we've already discussed stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so there would be times in the sprint planning where I would, and I guess that's where I did put my foot down a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I said, look guys, I'm sorry, but this has already been over in the refinement meeting. And if you weren't there, you know, I, um, I ended up getting agreement that if you didn't come to a refinement, that you that you had to accept whatever was decided yep. by the rest of the team. So do you actually, um, out of interest, do you run a teaming agreement? Do you have a team agreement that's documented where you would actually slide that in as, as a way of working? or? Have, no, have, uh, we don't have that. Okay. It's yep. a good idea. Yeah, look, what um, I find we is... We had it more yeah. informally, I suppose. Yeah, what yeah, I find yeah. is, um, one, one thing I think... Uh, uh, we do badly in Agile BI, we're not as well as we could, is, is we don't tend to set our spaces up as cool collaboration spaces. So um, a lot of the teams I'm working with now, um, we're working in organisations where these digital teams, and, and they're inherently 
running, you know, from an agile point of view anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got, you know, UX designers and that, and, and they always have really cool posters. You know, they always have mm-hmm. this this great feel about their space. And so when I look at team agreements in the past, I, I thought, yeah, we, we know them intrinsically, but actually just writing a, an A3 piece of paper up, even when it's ugly, you know, with those teaming things, um, where yeah. you can actually say, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it gives a sense of reinforcement as well, because what you can say is, okay, we've got a new agreement, I'm gonna go stick that on the teaming agreement. It's now visible, it's now mm. agreed, you know, it, it's, it can change. Mm-hmm. But it's that reinforcement, you know, visually we've agreed that, that you don't go to planning, you can't relitigate a lot of the questions and Well that's something similar to what you ran with us, which is be that guy and don't be that guy. Yeah. So um, at the very start of our agile journey, it's like what, what do we like about ourselves as people and what, um, you know, what sort of um, characteristics don't we want in the sprint. So we had two very visual um, lists of things we don't want and mm. and we help people to task if they if they actually um, show traits of the of the negative um, so that could build into a yeah, look, into, I, I, into I, a contract or yeah. not a contract uh, uh, so, so a team agreement is a form of contract yeah. Right? Uh, yeah it's not as, as onerous as a contract we don't sign it um, mm. sorry I've never had a team sign it kind of interesting um, <laughs> but yeah it is, it is a form of that so um, yeah that, that was off on, on a side thing um, so yeah I, I'm, I'm with you on the planning stuff uh, what I found with refinement is um, yeah that trigger point that trigger point of our commitment ceremony or our planning ceremony at the beginning of the iteration gets too long um, and there's lots of anti-patterns we see when we start doing that so the ones you know, I picked up that you mentioned um, yeah, we're coming together with something to deliver a new IP um, information product but the team haven't seen it before so they, they're trying to grapple with what's this thing, what's the outcome what do we need to deliver, right how do we now decompose it into its moving parts where are the risk areas that we have to score highly with you know, large points because we're not sure, which ones are safe, you know, all, all that complexity uh, is all mm. done in two to four hours and people burn out, mm. um, so I, I think that's a good one um, the second one that I've experienced just lately, which I've never thought about, um, is the way people absorb information. So when you work with people that really like to, to listen and hear and then they need time to distill or digest, they need to be able to stop, think about it and then come back. Mm. Uh, when we only have one ceremony, we don't give them that time because we're moving right? and, mm. and the team's moving. So. Uh, natural refinement, that refinement means they get a cut at it, yeah, and then they can mm. think about it, and then they're not relitigating, but they're, mm. they're becoming better at planning because they've got more time to, to absorb that information. And that's a personality style thing that I've never picked up on, mm. but just mm. kind of stumbled across point. lately. So I think those, what, what do you think, Blair? Or else yeah, have you seen the, the planning ceremony being useful? Or worth, worth the investment, I think. Oh, the planning ceremony. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, the, the refinement ceremony. Where else did you oh, see look, that? We run three-week sprints and we have two dem- um, backlog grooming sessions, which is refining, um, where we yeah. start to build the straw man of the next two sprints, straw men. Um, and I just find it so valuable going into the planning session already having an idea of what you, what's next. Um, and that's yeah. where I guess the product owner is really important as well, is giving giving you direction as to what their stakeholders say mm. is important, what the value 
stream mappings is is important, you know, um, so that that mm. planning session's sharp. You're breaking down stories from mm. epics, or breaking epics into stories. Mm. Um, you're you've mm. already got an idea of what's next, and and there's no selling really. It's just breaking down into those those manageable chunks, and that's the goal. So that was a good point there again that I hadn't picked up on. Um, so you're running, you're running two to two, um, two iterations ahead, right? Time horizon for S minus one, S minus two. Yep. But what you're also doing is you're bringing the product owner, and if they haven't been a product owner before, in before the iteration starts. Yeah. Because you bring them into that refinement, so they're getting some engagement with the team. They're understanding how the team decompose things, the questions they're asking. You're actually slowly onboarding the product owner if they're new, rather than just landing them on day one to this whole new world of working, which must be bloody confusing when you're. Yeah, and it also gets them two opportunities to go back to their customers mm. or their stakeholders before we actually get into the the planning session and we time box what we're actually going to do for those next three weeks. That's a good point. We're saying. You know, um, if you if you're not sure what's next, you know, you've got two weeks to, to sort it out. Um, so that's that's a bit of gold yeah, too. Yeah, that's good because because your refinement. How how many time horizons ahead are you? Are you still are you planning the next iteration or are you trying to refine yeah, a couple ahead? Yeah, we are mostly still in the only planning for the next sprint, um, but. Uh, I think we're slow through just incrementally improving things over time. I think when so we're now like for example when we uh, I noticed a, about a week ago that when we got to um, sprint planning meeting that not only had every single user story in that sprint been uh, so, you know, refined and sized, but there were already three or four stories from the sprint beyond that. So we are kind of slowly improving, and it, we've we've come a massive way, I guess I'd say, is what I'd say from a year ago. Um, another really cool thing that I've just started implementing recently, um, which I don't know what you guys think about, but. Um, is five minute time slots for the discussion of each story in the refinement meeting. So we get to the refinement meeting, um, what was happening was we were getting stuck on particular stories and we could be half an hour talking about one story. And so what would happen is because we'd done that, we actually weren't ready, we didn't have everything sized by the time we got to sprint planning. Or we'd have to keep, uh, actually for a while, I was incorporating extra refinement meetings, but even then, like, so we'd do a Thursday refinement meeting, we didn't, it, there was like half still not done, then I'd be like, right guys, I think we're going to have to have an extra refinement meeting, so we'd do an extra one on the Monday with sprint planning on the Tuesday, but even then, sometimes things would drag on and we'd still have stories not yeah. agreed. Oh, yeah, we'd, we've come across that. Um, so if you're spending 20 minutes on one story, it's probably too big. Yeah. So it probably needs to be broken up. Um, so what we found when yeah. we oh, yeah. planned one sprint ahead, like three epics, let's say, that need to be broken down, in the first refining session, that automatically um, moves into the next sprint because you know that 
you've sized it, and those three epics are just far too big for one for one sprint. So you're you're automatically moving into S minus two. Um, um, and another good point about that, which I, you know, just tweaked, tweaked me thinking about it as well, is um, by refining early, we can find those stories in our 40s, yeah. right? Because the, the team don't know how to decompose them, right? There's some information missing or they haven't done it before and they're not quite sure how they're going to build this. Yeah. And so that allows them to introduce the idea of a research spike in the, in the next iteration before they get to it. If you're, if you're two horizons ahead, they can go, yeah, it becomes obvious. Look, this big thing um, is too big and we don't know how to decompose it, so why don't we spend some time or some points in the next iteration doing a research spike to understand how we do it. Um, I think there's a balance there. So, yeah. so to take your point, I don't use a five-minute time limit, but I unconsciously invoke one um, at some time when I find the deep diving because... I think what I see is two behaviours. One is the story's too big and we're never going to be able to break it down right now because we just don't have enough information. Um, so yeah. we need some way of breaking that and that's where a research spike comes in. Um, the second one is we're just deep diving on detail because people like to do it and it's not adding any value, right? It's not, mm. you know, we might be arguing to get it from a five to a three or we, we've just got this little pet peeve or we're really interested and we just want to discuss it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not... <laughs> But that's not the not point of refinement. It's to get it down to a small enough chunk that, and, and the way I work it is that, you know, in theory, that task can move in a day. It's really what we want to get down to. So mm. there is that whole idea of no estimates where you don't actually point things. Um, I find that as teams get more and more experienced, they move away from poker pointing or they do it mm. naturally, right? They, they stop playing with the cards and they they oh, become fun though. <laughs> yeah, I know, but but they, they because yeah. they've been working together for so long they're kind of symbiotic. Yeah. And you they, start you yeah. start to build up a um, what we call a basis of estimates. Yeah. Yeah. Which are things that we know that are a five or a seven or is there a seven? No. A five or an eight. Because we do them every time we develop an, um, a product. Mm. So mm. let's not spend time yeah. Yeah, yeah. trying to yeah. decide. I really like your idea, Shane, about how you mentioned about um, incorporating risk into your sizing, because I think that's maybe something that we need to do more, because um, quite often a story will end up ballooning out, and it's because there was yeah something that we were a little bit unsure about when yeah. we sized it, and and that's okay yeah, because you know be... if you've got a big pointer, so. I will naturally say to them there is a, a certain size you're not allowed to bring into an iteration. So normally it's a 40, mm. right? Or at the, yeah, and, and 20s we say a high risk, right? We're saying we really think there are a lot of effort there, about a week's effort probably, depending on how the team's point, right? But yeah, there are multiple of multiples of days, you know, they're risky. And, and we can't figure out how to break it down and we just don't want to, you know, um, but we're going to take a punt. Right, but what we say is, do the forty, the twenty-first, right? Don't leave a twenty to the last part of the iteration because you'll fail. Mm -hmm. Bring in a new, right? Um, you know, if it's below a twenty, if it's a thirteen, you know, and then eight, you know. So, you know, where we really want to get to is more of a Kanban approach where every card's a five, and a five can move in half a day, mm -hmm. you know, or, or a day. You know, we really want to be able to get to that level, but. I don't know about you, when I start off with new teams, it's part of that journey to get to that level. We can't do it on day one. 
for a whole raft of reasons. Yeah. And with the, um, if you have two refinement sessions during the three-week sprint, um, and you've identified that that twenty that's sitting there and it's not moving, um, it can really change the whole shape of the um, the next two sprints because I use that opportunity to um, with the product owner's agreement, and we found that this twenty is just massive and it's actually a fifty or. A, Whatever. It's 100. It's 100. It's a question mark. <laughs> then we're not shy of changing the whole. So it's the first or. Yeah, we've got two more weeks. We can change the shape of the whole sprint with the agreement of the product owner and, mm. and we'll break that um, that 20 down into two, you know, two tens or whatever. Um, and then bring. And that the bit that's left over will go into um, S minus one. And then we start. Or not, right? Well, or not. Because what you're saying is. 20 sitting there is dangerous. We've had a go and we've realised that we're not going to deliver all of it. Mm. So, Mr. or Mrs. Product Owner, you're not getting it. We can give you parts of it. That's the best we can do now. You may, if you've got the right for the next iteration, get the rest of it. You may not, but, but what do you want to do? It's your trade off decision. Yeah. Might get, that's where you use the backlog as well. Yeah. It's like, we know that only a half of this is really important for going forward. Um, can we park the other half? Um, come back later. When yeah. We've got a bit do you do a half or nothing? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's yeah. your choices. Which, yeah. So so if we go from there and we jump into the demo sessions, right? So so refinement for me, um, yeah, solves a lot of problems. So I, I think we, yeah, we've seen that. Yes. Yeah, good <laughs> worth the investment, but hard. Um, probably the one meeting or, or session I think that people uh, not argue with uh, raise the most. Yeah, I, I think. Because I think it's because they're not working on it right now. Um, so that planning early seems like an anti-pattern for Agile, right? It seems like a waterfall behaviour. Um, but the demo one's really interesting, right? The prove it. Again, I, I see teams drop it because, and in my view, it's because it holds them accountable. If they can't, you can't show it, it didn't happen. Um, what do you think? I don't... I, ha I haven't experienced that myself. I just think that people prioritise which is the critical meetings and a demo, like, you have to have planning because otherwise the team doesn't know what they're doing tomorrow. But people, and, and I guess, I don't know, people tend to drop the demo rather than the retro part. And... Yeah, I mean, um, so when I came back into my team, um, they weren't doing a demo. So, so how did the stakeholders feel about that? Right. So, so well, how did the, the people outside of the team? Well, product owner above, right? The yeah. people outside of the team yeah. who weren't involved, did they were they not attending anyway? Did well, they... this is interesting because a year on, having done demos for. I guess a year now, we still aren't actually including our customers in our demos. Mm. How come? And the re I, I actually have made a specific decision not to do that um, because we're doing so many different things for because I guess in the BI space and we've got a bunch of different we've got about 10 key, data apps, mm -hmm. so click and click sends, mm -hmm. uh, and 
the the requests that we get are quite varied so it might be a change or an improvement to an app it might be an investigation into some data that somebody thinks looks a bit strange it might be um, doing some back-end uh, what do you call, uh, what do you call it when you um, some improve some code yep. that you've written in the, uh, in yep. the past yep. um, and and so um, yeah so at any in any one sprint we will have between five and twenty customers so uh, so that's I guess direct and slightly like more indirect customers but users of the, of the change yeah. um, and for a few sprints we did have some people coming along but it was quite hard to you know say to get well there's a couple of issues for us one is that a lot of our customers are based in different locations mm -hmm. and actually getting a room that is mm -hmm. suitable for the for the demo and retro that's big enough and has a VTC is, mm -hmm. is, a, is a challenge in itself. But also like the logistics of saying to a particular customer, okay, we only probably need you from 10 past 10 until, you know, 25 past 10 and then you probably don't need to stay after that because the next thing is less, a lot less relevant for you. Um, I found that it was better for us to demo as a team in the demo mm -hmm. and then have individual demos with customers after that. Okay. So over the next so week or demo. so. So you're still demoing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so let's yeah. explore that a little bit. Um, so for me, uh, the demo has been really, well, the pre I call it a previous session, man. I call it a previous session because <clears throat> demoing came out of, of Scrum and it came out of the app dev environment. And typically they've got lots of screens to show. Um, and when we're doing data and BI and analytics, sometimes we, if we do, we're doing our first exploratory type of delivery, we're kind of data and code heavy and, and you know, front end light. Um, so, so for me, it's, it's taking the demo concept and saying we're actually proving what we spent our time on. Um, and, I, and I found by changing that, it had a little bit of an impact on the behaviour in a good way. I definitely find um, having that session for some reason makes the team focus on um, on actually finishing. I don't know what it is, mm. but if they don't know it's there, if, if it's not there, everything bleeds to the next iteration. If it's there, mm. for some reason, there's just that little bit more push to get it ready. So if you have a sprint full of research and documentation, you still have a demo. Yeah, I still yeah. improve it. And, and, and the reason for that is, um, uh, the other thing I'll do is if I start with a new team, I'll go through a gradual process. Um, so I'll start off and they will demo to themselves, right? We make it a very safe environment. There's nobody else allowed in, um, including their boss, um, if, if they're uncomfortable. Um, a really safe environment, because they're gonna learn how to present, right? And so what will happen is, typically the first one will be a complete nightmare. It's completely ad hoc. No agenda, nobody knows they're running, the first person takes up all the time, everybody else, right? So they, so they learn and, and they start adapting to doing a bit of a, uh, an agenda for themselves, right? So they know who's next. Then you'll see them have a little bit of a practice so that, that it actually works. Um, and then what I'll typically do is allow their direct stakeholders in um, as, a, as a practice run next time. 
um, where they've got that. An unexpected benefit of that is that those stakeholders have given the team permission to work in this new way, and they're not really, often at the beginning, because we know the teams often fail at the beginning, they're seeing this investment and this failure and they start getting nervous. And when they come into the prove-it session, they can actually see all the work the team's doing. So they get this sense of, actually, that investment, that, that investment in letting them take the risk and this new way of working and that investment in their ability to fail uh, actually helps. The other thing it does is, is after two or three iterations, that stakeholder, if they're not at those prove-it sessions, will start to want to accelerate the teams, right? They'll either want to add more people, get them to do more, or add more squads. Um, because it's people, for some reason, they have this natural two to three iterations, you know, which for, for when I do it's nine weeks, it's enough, right? We should be absolutely hard and rocking it. As soon as they come to approve it, they can see which bits are hard and which bits are still risky. So they their risk profile, you know, they'll, they'll back off a little bit. Um, and it creates a really great value conversation around that. that I like this idea of investment. It's, I'm going to use it um, of the time and, and the, the permission and that. And then once you get it out to the wider audience, what tends to happen in my experience is you'll get a rush of people for the first one. You've got to book a big room, right? The first one you've got to book a big space because everybody's heard about this thing, and they all come along. And then after that, lots of people leave and never come back because. Yes. What we say is, is in the previous session, yes, you show the dashboard or the report or the data service, but actually you show the documentation. If you have had a gnarly problem with data, you describe the process you took, you, you show a screen of code, you don't read the code out, but you go, I had this problem that we had customers coming in from two different source systems and we had to match them. But the actual customer IDs don't match. So I had to write code that looks at the names and the addresses and, hey, here's a really interesting edge case. And everybody nods, they go, oh, yeah. The last part of it is by getting that mass, is, is to your point, about if it was built for one team, another team doesn't need to see it. What I found is often you'll hear the words, we, we have lots of data but no information, right? What that means is people doesn't, don't know what exists. And yes, we're doing mm, data catalogs and that. That's true. But yeah, often yeah. we'll hear the words, oh my yeah. God, I didn't realise we had that customer data already. Yeah, I've yeah. been looking for that. Or even worse, oh my God, I didn't realise we had that customer data. I just paid a vendor a fortune to get it for me. Um, so that cross-pollination of what we have and what we can reuse is another piece of value that just intrinsically comes out of that audience. That is a really interesting idea, actually. Yeah, one customer group uh, getting an idea almost from what another customer group's receiving. And even if that particular thing doesn't perfectly apply to them, it still may plant a seed. Yeah, yeah. yeah you often hear, oh, actually, we could use that for... Right, yeah, they kind of morph and bounce off uh, another use that nobody would have thought mm. about because we did, nobody understood their business problem, but they, they can mm. see a mapping. Um, and then the other one, I suppose, that happens is it starts, it's around that brand. Uh, people can now go, Oh, wow, so if we engage with you as a product owner and we give you our problems, you work through this process and give us help. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're here for. Wow, uh, and again, it's that it's a subtle sales message. Um, what I used to, so when you look at demos, what, what's meant to happen, and if you read the books, is the product owner does the demo. Um, and I've always struggled with that one, um, because it's, well, if it's not just a dashboard, uh, 
Um, but what I've found actually is it's also a great way of understanding the maturity of your product owners. So I've now had teams where, you know, sometimes a team will demo the product or the IP, and in the next iteration, the product owner will demo it, right? And that's really interesting dynamics, but they're both okay, right? If the product owner is comfortable with showing what's being built, you know, I've seen a product owner demo the data. Yeah, there was no dashboard, no report. They they because they were quite a technical product owner, and so they grabbed the data and actually showed what what model they built off it because they were a product owner that used the data to build the model, uh, and and they mm. they rocked it right because you know it was a quite a complex model and they were like bang 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 and and, and that. But yeah, so I think that's okay. Is is like you said, you adopt the behaviours of this these agile approaches and patterns in a way that fits you. Um, mm -hmm. BI and data is a little bit different, so. Yeah, I don't know, I'd suggest maybe do it safely, right? It's definitely right? something to think yeah. about, find, eh? Find one key stakeholder that you knows a forgiving, trusted key stakeholder, bring them in and see what happens. Experiment with it. Yeah, yeah, If it doesn't like work, it. stop it, right? Like if it works, it. Yeah, carry yeah, on. Yeah. Um, yeah, But I really like that idea of, I completely agree about, um, about the fact that, yeah, a team will definitely... But you know, couldn't leverage off what another team's received. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you know, like say you go to a conference and you sit and you you're really keen on listening to a particular presentation, and then you might end up sitting in on another one, and that you didn't <laughs> expect that, or did didn't think you'd want to listen to, but suddenly it sparks this idea, doesn't? It? And you're like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. and so. And actually, sorry, that tweaked another thing. Um, so sometimes what happens is the teams will decide to, to have a game of two halves. So they will um, spend the first half showing the sexy bits and the second half showing some more of the prove it, the documentation. Oh. Like, documentation, sorry, before I... Like, don't underestimate the value of showing a document that you've written. I like People, that. So then I you like give, them, a, idea. give them permission to exit if they don't want to go through yeah, the more technical Yeah, parts. so the beginning yep. could be the, all the changes to apps that we've yep. made. Yeah. First half or whatever. Second half is, you know, improvements to code. Yeah. Um, and, and it's okay. You give them permission to exit the room if they want to go and invest their time yeah, yeah. somewhere else, right? It, it's okay. The I team like won't it. get upset. So yeah. you could also do um, Game of Two Halves with a product owner, um, um, sort of uh, focusing on the why. Why are we doing this? What is the business problem? Yeah. You know, we've got a gap in data that is needed to make decisions. Um, you know, and this is where we've got to here. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think you guys started that with yeah. me as well, is that. The product owner standing up and actually saying what the business problem they had rather than what they wanted to, to solve. Um, because I don't know if you find it clear, but what sometimes happens is somebody in the audience will go, but what about this? You know, did we do this? Or, And you really want the product owner jumping in and saying, no, I made a trade-off decision. Right? Didn't have time with yep. the team to deliver that. Didn't think it was important. Deal with it a different way. You don't want the team answering the, the whys yep. um, or the whats. You just want them answering the hows. Yep. Um, so, again, but it depends on your product owner. You know? Yeah, if you've got a mature product owner, that conversation should be happening anyway, yep. Yep. away from the demo. But, yep. but we all know that product owner no. is the one we, we deal with after we've helped the team. Or that product owner <laughs> is the one that's got five different hats and product owners. Mm one of them that they've been asked to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah.
might be their first chance to have a chat with yeah. stakeholders. So we rip through the rest. I mean, um, you know, daily stand-ups, apart from they when they start degrading and going too long, what have you found? Are they Everybody tends to do them. Yeah, that tends to be the first thing adopted, I think. Yeah. Like, even, <laughs> even in my other half's um, workplace that's attempting to go agile, uh, they've adopted the, the daily stand-up, but trying to get anything else done is... Yeah, and, and so, I've tried, I mean, I've, I've tried, I try not to be derogatory, um, and, and we, we often do. What I say is, is you're being ad hoc, and, and, and that's okay. Don't, don't, please don't say you're doing or being agile, but what you've done is adopted an agile pattern that helps us collaborate on a daily basis. And that's good, right? Not having a one-hour team meeting every week is the only way you talk to each other. Talking on a daily basis is great. It's a good pattern. But don't think you're attempting to be agile, right? You, you need to invest in all the other behaviours before you do it justice. But it is kind of cool. Um, we're starting to see the same thing with um, groups that you'd never imagine um, adopting any agile disciplines, having morning stand-ups, um, HR, finance. It's like, Absolutely. holy shit, this is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we've seen, we're seeing more and more people around our floor with post-its on, on yeah, whiteboards yeah, yeah. moving them around. I just see them <laughs> as a, um, an audience that we could, um, we could, we could help. Yeah. And they're making the first step on their own. Yeah. Because they're collaborating on a daily basis, they're visualising who's working on what and having a conversation around those things and, and how they're going to move them and make them better. They're all good pattern behaviours, but yeah, I think you're right, I think that means they're open to an agile mindset. And agile well, we can at least have a chat about um, what fluency they want to get to. Yeah. yeah. They might just want that stand up a little bit more. It's like, how far do you want to go? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and that fluency model. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think taking your point, getting across to them that it is an investment, it's an investment of time, uh, investment Absolutely. of risk, um, it's, it's, you know, you have to invest into these ways of working to make them work, um, it doesn't just yeah. happen by magic. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So daily stand-ups for me, I, th I think the one for me is when the daily stand-ups degrade, right, when they become half an hour or 45 minutes because people are deep diving, you know, all those, all those behaviours, I think that's when that investment of time starts to get challenged. Yeah, no, I think it's the, um, you know, as a scrum master, it's the um, impediment stuff that's really, I find, important there. It's like, why didn't you get to what you had to do yesterday? Oh, it's because so-and-so came up and had a BAU issue that I had to deal with. OK, I might just have a little side conversation with that person yeah, and just say, look, yeah. we're in an important time frame here. Um, you know, come and see me first and then I can manage it with so-and-so. Yeah. yeah, I think our team are really good at stand-ups and, and I guess it's the one thing that we've, um, in addition to the retro which has been, you know, consistent across the the whole five years and so, we're, um, yeah, we're, we're quite good at identifying, oh, let's take that, that um, out of the stand-up and talk about that separately. We, we, we'd say that most stand-up, somebody would say that. Um, and most, yeah, everyone's pretty good at just keeping it reasonably short. So very rarely would we go over 15 minutes. Just, um, yeah. Shane, what have you seen as the, um, you know, like the ceremony that's the most likely to drop off if people start 
waning, you know, sort of moving away? Um, it's definitely grooming. Uh, grooming, really? grooming. Even we don't get there, or we just we lose it. Um, then what I see is the planning sessions on the beginning get get loose. So the cards are massive. They're not the re, they're not refined. There are no good acceptance criteria on them. Yeah, we kind of we we actually do waste the time. We don't get the investment out of it because it doesn't help us execute better as a team. Um, retros. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. retros for us. The, the first ones that dropped off. Really? So yeah. for me, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever. I, I think I've become dictatorial. Uh, retros are a given, right? If, if you if you're not doing retros, then we just stop. Uh, I don't, we don't. I, I've just mm. never allowed. But to regular be honest, retros. I've never gone back in to see if the squads are still going. So when you're away, you know. On, on leave, you're saying the team actually ran their retros without you, and that was the one ceremony, apart from stand-ups, that they retained. Oh no, sorry. Oh. Um, they they did uh, they did stand-up sprint planning uh, retro, okay. and I think they were mostly doing one refinement meeting a fortnight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the only things that got dropped were what a. a not enough refinement right. meetings and demoing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen um, a lot of the podcasts and reading I've done actually talks about when the team are really good at continuously improving what they're doing anyway, you can drop the retro. Because with Scrum, you know, what we're doing is putting unnatural constraints in. If the team are really great at continuously refining the way they work, you don't need a force meet, a force time slot yeah. to do it. Um, we put that constraint in of you have to turn up on this time to do it because we want to encourage that behaviour and get better at it. So I don't know. Do you I'd think, like do you to say that, that, that was the <laughs> I'd like to say that was the reason why we um, we got a bit slack with retros, but it was really because it was out of the the whole ceremony sweep. That was the one that the team thought could be put back into coding and put back wow. into. Um, but we've yeah, but we've soon realise that no, you have to have that self-reflection, that um, continuous improvement. I tell you what we do sometimes to try and switch it up, because I'm big on like keeping it interesting for the team. Um, sometimes we do the kudos session where it, we might only spend 20 minutes rather than like a, a whole, or, or ma actually maybe like last time we did 20 minutes of kudos and then like a half hour specific topic that everybody felt that we needed to talk about but with kudos I um, I printed off you know the thanks there's these little things that you can find online that have got thanks and you're awesome and well done and and um, congratulations, and it's just it's just an opportunity to to reflect, to get the team to reflect positively <coughs> on each other, where rather because normally in a retro it's how can oh well actually you can combine a bit of you know like uh, what do we want to keep what do we what do we want to do more of and etc. But some more often than not. The retro will turn more into a oh this isn't working well and that isn't working well and so this is just an opportunity to switch it up and be really positive. Yeah, look, I agree. I, I, I think um, I, I think as scrum masters or coaches we have to we have to mix the retros up over time. We have to introduce different ways of doing it. It's there to focus on what does the team want to do better next time in the process and what are they going to do to action there. One of the one of the 
customers I'm working with at the moment, they do quite an interesting one where they, they found a, a sheet somewhere that has kind of um, uh, emotive words on it and colours. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I, I can't remember what they call it, whether they call it a team health check or anything, but you look at it and you go, I'm feeling, you know, um, excited or, you know, uh, I'm feeling concerned. And so they actually do that at um, sprint planning at the end of it uh, as a part of the closing out the commitment to, okay, how, how are we feeling? To get a sense in the room about, yeah, no, this is a nice safe one or, yeah, this one's, this one's going to be gnarly. So, um, yeah, I think, I think if the retro, if the team are calling out the retro doesn't have values, like everything, it's going back to, okay, is it the way we're running the process that's not working? You know, it's degraded and not getting that benefit. Are they now mature enough that they're just behaving that way and we don't need a, you know, an investment, an unnatural constraint to put it in place? Or, you know, do we need to change the way we're running it because we're not getting the benefit out of that time investment that we should be in there? And once we started the backup, it was like, shit, why did we stop doing this? It's great. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's probably, uh, and I think it's probably the scrum master's fault. Yeah, you let stuff ride sometimes, right? Yeah. And, and I think coming back to your point, um, Joe is, is saying to them, I want you to give me permission to run it for a little while, and if at the end of that we do a retro on that, and you say it's not adding value, then okay, we, we're going to have a conversation about how we get those benefits in another way. But often when they give you that permission and, and you run it, uh, they come back to, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually helping. Um, Actually, one thing I've found with people who do question the retros is that often things are always coming up on a day-to-day -day basis in the daily stand-up, and that's an opportunity, like, you know, like uh, issues that crop up, somebody will bring them up at the daily stand-up, and that's the perfect opportunity I've, I've found to, to then say back to the team, well, the retro is the perfect opportunity to, to discuss this further. And then you're kind of reinforcing the, the benefit or, or the reason why you have a retro. So that, yeah, no, it's good. It's yeah. A, it's sort of, it becomes your parking lot, right? Yeah, as, as long yeah, as they yeah. do bring it uh, to that session and they do raise it and then they do work on a plan to resolve it. Uh, also find bringing food helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, we use cake for the... Um, for the uh, when we do the um, the scoring of the stories. Oh, okay. If we get a consensus three times, so everyone says eight th for the story, you know, thirteen. I have to buy the cake as as um, scrum master. Oh wow! I don't so, want to do that no, one. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll be buying cake all the time. <laughs> well, that's good. I can't game it. Yeah. No, you'll see some gaming yeah. coming in. Yeah. Like they'll reach over the table and say. So is this easy or hard? <laughs> yeah. And they've got code for hard equals twenty, easy equals two. I do the one I did the other day was um, so so new team and they as new teams do over committing to what they could deliver, and so I was I was applying you know a little bit of the scrum master role where I was going, are you sure you can deliver that? That, that looks like a lot, right? Are you sure? Yeah, and they're like yeah. And, and they keep wanting to bring more in, and you know, I had to close it and say, look, you know, in, in terms of the way we, we point it, you're full. Oh, no, we can do some more. No, you can't. Uh, no, we can. So all I said is, okay, we'll leave that on the, on the iteration backlog. If you complete all those other things uh, and you bring those in and complete them, you know, I'll shout sausage rolls and cake, <laughs> you know, and, and that. Um, 
Now, what happened was I didn't write an acceptance criteria down. So I thought I was very clear on what the acceptance criteria was. When they finished the iteration, they delivered some of the, th they delivered one IP, they had committed to multiple information products. They delivered one information product and said, I owe them sausage rolls and cake. And I went, no, you had to deliver all of them that were well, in so there. So you were and safe, you were never going to deliver Oh, on your yeah, well, that's what they said, actually. So I went, okay, retro for me. Write the acceptance criteria <laughs> down very, very clearly. So I, I, I half paid out. <laughs> that's always okay. Excellent. All right, well, it looks like uh, yeah, it's a good good session. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. And, um, yeah, again, it's all things I think we've known, but we've never really talked about. Um, so I think there's some good good learnings out of there and some good ways of explaining to uh, new teams or stakeholders or product owners around why we, we spend this time uh, and invest to get that value. Yeah, Excellent. thanks yeah. guys. No, no, really, no, thank you. Some really good tips yeah. to take away as well. Excellent, so did I. <laughs> yeah. And um, for those that weren't here when we weren't recording, which is all of the rest of you, um, yeah, Joe came up with a really good idea about about creating almost uh, a bit of a coaching circle where we can get guests together and, and cover a subject uh, that's concerning one of us. So we might see how we can lock that in. So if you're based in Wellington and you're in the world of Agile and data, get hold of Blair and myself if you want to come along and, and have a chat with us. Right, well, we'll catch you all later. All right, see ya. See ya. You've been listening to another podcast from Blair and Shane, where we discuss all things Agile BI. For more podcasts and resources, please go to agilebi.guru.